to the Gestalten podcast and uh, I'm very happy to uh, share with you today our latest guest on the podcast and that is Amy Fraschella. Amy, hel you know, hello and welcome to the podcast and it's an absolute pleasure to have you here with us. Oh, well, thank you so much, Martin. Amy, we want to talk a little bit about um, women in design and obviously you have been in particular in the car design world for, for quite a long time. You have held a couple of really, really high positions within uh, within really big manufacturers as well. But uh, before we dive a little bit deeper into that and what working in this industry means for you also as a woman, you know, how your development was in this as well, give us a little bit of an insight of um, how how did you fall into this world of car design? Because you, you come from a textiles background, but also from a designs background. So what, what what made you kind of go into this environment of car design after all? Was this something, you know, very early on that you enjoyed? Was this something you kind of fell into? Or how can we imagine you starting out at, uh, you know, at Hyundai Kia back in, you know, back in the early 2000s and say like, wow, okay, this is, this is what I want to do uh, in the long term as well? Well, it was completely by accident. <laughs> I don't know if that's okay to say that, but it completely was. I, I, I knew I wanted to do something creative. Um, I actually thought I would go into fashion. I thought I'd mm -hmm. design t textiles for the fashion industry or something like this. But um, my first job actually was with a Japanese textile manufacturer. And I had the opportunity to see many different aspects of that business because um, they did have a fashion um, pillar as well as like a medical pillar, but then they also had an automotive pillar. So I was assigned to do design work with the automotive clients. And that's kind of how I got my start into this industry. I think that the more I worked with the OEMs um, at that point, because I was, you know, in a supplier, I found it really fascinating. Um, the, ch the creative challenges and the creative problem solving and all the different components that go into making one ultimate product. And this idea of, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty much industrial design, you know, at um, scale. So I, I really liked that. I liked having lots of different things to look at, especially when I entered the OEM world, um, out of the supplier world. And I just kind of kept going. Uh, so yeah, it's by accident. Um, no plan. <laughs> that sounds really, um, poor for my career planning, but that's kind of how it happened. <laughs> I, you know, I recently had a lot of conversations with, um, educators and we we always talk about this idea of the passion of the car world and you know you need to have a certain kind of affinity to it to kind of really truly understand it has there anything for you in you know in your in your childhood where you connected the car to anything proper emotionally for you or has this grown a little bit in the career career when you started because you know especially in the design studios we talk about the petrol heads and the gear heads and everything like that um, so coming out of something where you don't really have a connection with was, you know, might probably also be a bit of a strange, a strange reckoning for you. Well, I mean, you know, yes and no. I mean, design, you know, you can take that kind of thinking and approach to any industry and any product. 
um, specifically with automotive. Um, yeah, I did have, you know, everyone remembers their first car or, you know, thinking about what your first car might be because car, the car, especially in America where, you know, I, you know, live, you know, a large portion of my life, you know, the car equals freedom. And I remember my father. So I had, I guess I have two stories of emotionally connecting with a car. Um, my father, we actually lived in Jakarta, Indonesia for like the first 10 years of my life. And then we moved back to the U.S. And I remember he bought a Porsche 911 when we moved back to the U.S. And um, I remember he would like take me to school in this Porsche. Don't ask me to tell you the year. I think it was like, I don't know, just because it was like 1988 or 89 doesn't mean the Porsche was that year. I don't, I don't remember. But he would take me to school in this Porsche and like all the classmates, all the guys in my class were like, oh my gosh, you know, your dad's Porsche. It's amazing. And then my dad bought me this little, like, um, the toy version of his car, like the little, the one that you can like, it's a remote control. So I remember that feeling like a little connection with me and my father, um, with this Porsche. Um, so that was fun. And then, um, later on, you know, my parents separated and when I became a teenager and, you know, really getting serious about getting my own car, my mom remarried and my stepfather worked on Volkswagens. Like he had restored an old, old Volkswagen Beetle. So like that was going on in his shop. He had a shop outside of our house that was like bigger than the house. So he was really into that. And, um, he sold me his old Honda Civic. It was a four door. It was in 1988, I think the year that was my first car. It was a stick shift, right? So in America, most people don't drive a stick shift. So this was my first car. And he wouldn't let me have this car until I learned to change the tire, change the oil, do all these other things that like nobody else had to do. Cause he was just like, in case you get stranded somewhere, like then you know what to do was the thinking. So I guess those are my two kind of emotional stories with cars. I mean, yeah. And then I ended up working on cars. So yeah, there we go. <laughs> That's yeah. I, I think we all have a little bit of these kind of stories, right? Where you, where you connected and, you know, you change your first tire or you have your first flat tire and then you, you kind of have to be on your own and work it out how it works. And it's, yeah, I think it's, it's a lot about that. And I, I've, I find it very interesting when you said, um, this kind of first experience with a car and this first kind of memory. Now, um, when you moved into this kind of car world and you had people around you that were, really crazy about these things. Did anything change in you when you, you know, started do, working in the job? Because, you know, we had Carl and Trim obviously being often very far away. You're not always taken too seriously, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago. But did anything change in you as well? Or were you in your own little world back then just to say like, hey, we're, we're doing a job here and yeah, we have these other guys as well, but it's not as well connected. And we we're little, literally on our own little island there. How can we you know, how can we experience what you've experienced um, when you first started? Was it fundamentally different? Yeah. I mean, um, it was, yeah, it was a, a, a kind of its own silo um, as a discipline. It, it was more of a discipline that was a supporting 
discipline from my experience. Um, you know, still collaborating, working very closely with the interior and exterior design teams, but always kind of in a more supporting role rather than, you know, working alongside and talking about, you know, informing the form, right? The form was almost informing our job. And so I saw that shifting over the years um, from when I started to ultimately now um, where we start to talk about things like a material-led design approach, which is nothing new necessarily in many product design industries, but in the automotive space, it wasn't always quite like that. Um, I think, you know, when I think back over the years, there were certain designers that really took it seriously, took the discipline seriously and understood that by collaborating and working closely with the color materials team, it would um, elevate their proposals or it would make um, what they were working on stronger. I think that for the, for the clever few, you know, that they could understand um, why they would want to partner with us from, 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 from an early point in the design phase. Um, I think now most designers are clever enough to understand that it's an integral part of the process. And so collaboration is organic and it starts, you know, at the beginning. Um, I still think that there's room to grow though, um, in terms of, you know, there are certain phases still where it's like, oh, we're just studying the package. You know, it's not yet part of the cycle plan, but not all the disciplines are at the table. I still think when even in that very early stage with product planning, you know, all the dis design disciplines should be involved because it's about the total experience of the products and the total design ethos, you know, everyone working as one. Um, so I think that's kind of where we'll start to go, where the seat at the table is there, but every discipline needs to have an input from the very, very beginning to the very, very end, not just kind of in the, in the semi-early stages. So... Yeah. yeah, I wanna I wanna jump a little bit into this in terms of how this has developed because, so you know you you probably know this of course as well but we we do these studies and you know we found out that within the general automotive design world only ten percent are women and you know we also get a lot of requests like hey how can we increase that and everything and has you know from from based on your experience now you know over the past twenty years or so. Um, I don't necessarily think that they have, you know, these numbers have changed too much, but have, has the role of a woman in the, the studio changed drastically or like, you know, is it seen as a much more vital role? Because we see still very few women in exterior and in interior, it's still very color trim heavy, but we see more in 3D modeling, for example, as well. Um, and when you talk about having, you know, a seat at the table has, this changed also the, the the role that you went into and how you behave in that environment? Or was this also just like a cultural shift that now happened over the past 20 years? Can can you give us a little bit of an idea from your firsthand experience? Was this something that, you know, you changed, that the, the, the society changed, the culture changed? Or how can we see these kind of tables changing um, as like a continuous product? Oh, wow. That's a very um, multifaceted question. Um so, well, I think a lot of what you're talking about stems from the culture of the studio and the leadership 
Um, so when I started, call it the boy culture. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the leadership might've had a different kind of environment. They were, they were coming into, they were learning from the leaders that came before them. And I see a palpable change in leadership of the different generations. So, you know, the, the people that are probably in my generation that are now, you know, leading studios or in, or in more leadership positions, you know, um, and I don't have the data to support this is just what I think, you know, these are the, the guys that are coming from childhoods of like the seventies and the eighties, uh, where, you know, um, mothers may, you know, families may not have been, you know, you know, the definition of what you typically had before then. And I think mothers were also raising their sons in a different way. And I think there's a lot more like collaboration and between the genders. I, I don't know if, I don't know if I'm articulating this well. It just seems like there's a different generation of men now being raised by women that were coming out of, you know, feminism and different movements and not over, not only in the workplace, but like, I think, you know, the labor that happens at home, there's more a kind of, um, sharing of that, so to speak, I think. So that enables women in the workplace when, you know, they're sharing that workload at home with their partner. So I would say leadership is changing. Um, in creative studios, I think the leaders that are in place have a different mindset on, um, diversity and inclusion. I think, you know, the studios that I've experienced working in, there's always been diversity in terms of, um, nationalities, um, but you're right about the gender. It's, it's just, it's typically more males than females. And I would say that something else that I, experienced in terms of how I operate in that environment or how I've had to learn to adjust to operate in that type of environment is, um, you know, my leadership style has had to change. You know, I probably was more, um, for lack of a better term, old fashioned in my approach in the beginning where I was more hands-on, you know, let's just find the solution. Let, let's, let's, you know, let's solve the problem or whatever. Um, but now as we're moving into a different generation of leadership and I had different roles, you know, you can't be as hands-on, um, mod- the modern leadership approach is more, not always about just getting to that final solution, you know, keeping that space for more thought processing ideation, but also failure. So I think, you know, there, and that's probably not gendered what I'm talking about that shift. Um, but I'm, I'm just saying that. I've had to do that. I think for women, though, specifically in leadership roles, it's important to be aware of unconscious bias towards women. And knowing that um, you dial up and dial down depending on who you interface with. Um, So I guess with my team, I probably would have shown up and been a lot more open, a lot more vulnerable. Uh, but then when I had to interface with, you know, maybe colleagues from different functional areas or, um, different senior leaders, uh, a lot of those situations, I would be the only, 
Um, mm-hmm. So I would need to temper my passion or temper that vulnerability. Um, maybe more so as a woman because, um, you know, you don't want to be seen as the overly passionate person in general, but, you know, as a woman, you know, there's probably just some stereotypes playing into that. And something that I think creative environments need to think about, um, in terms of health and well-being for all people, not just, not just women is how do you deal with emotion, right? In a professional environment, because, you know, I would be remiss not to mention, you know, oh my gosh, as a woman, have I cried at the studio? Yes. <laughs> um, it's an emotional environment. You know, people get passionate, things happen, everyone's human. And I remember the first time this happened to me, uh, my colleague, she was like, go to the bathroom, like, don't let anyone see you. And that made such a huge impression on me because you know, emotions are emotions, you know, crying may not be that you're upset, you could be happy, right? You know, you're just reacting. And I think that um, I've had a few incidents with, you know, being emotional at work, you know, crying or reacting in a positive way or reacting in a, you know, in a way that, you know, maybe you were stressed or something. And those have been moments that I really, really remember for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, I'm not saying it happens all the time, I but I remember this <laughs> happening, this, this, this emotional thing happening, happening to me as a woman two or three times and it being very different each time it happened. Like the first time that I just said, it was like, Oh, hide it. Um, whereas, you know, another time I was, it was just a really heavy period during work where there was just a lot going on, um, changes in senior leadership. And I think someone in my team saw me cause I, you know, I did what someone had told me before, like hide yourself if you're having an emotional moment. Yeah. And I went into like a closet or something in the studio. And I think this person in my team saw me and she, she kind of came in after me and she just, you know, she just gave me a really big hug and said, it's okay. And I remember that being such a connection point for me and thinking, I don't know, like all that gets hidden, especially as a woman, right? There's a Mm -hmm. lot of things like that that get hidden. I mean, I'm not trying to say I've experienced all these things, but, you know, in my previous team, I had, you know, it was predominantly women. There were a lot of um, people, you know, going on maternity leave, coming back from maternity leave. You know, that can be a very emotional experience at work in maybe an emotionally charged environment like a studio. So, you know, things happen. And I think women have to be a lot more conscientious about that and hide that almost to mm-hmm. make sure people still think you're, you're focused and you're professional. I think I've gone off on a tangent there. <laughs> no, but I... But I do find that super interesting because, um, you know, for for me, there's two kind of ways over here. It's on the one hand, it's the culture to allow for that to happen and don't necessarily see it as a negative, but something that, you know, really kind of portrays also what is happening right now around you and, um, 
you know, I, I know of also men where this happened. You know, I don't necessarily think it's just a, a, a female kind of direction that you can cry in a studio. I know other, you know, some people that have had that similar situation as well. But I, what I also want to ask you is, in this kind of development that you've had for yourself, and you said, like, you know, you had to adjust to certain situations as well. Um, did you do that on your own? Did you have help to kind of go through this so that you can you can learn this as well? Or is this something that you had to accept for yourself or like, you know, understand to yourself? Because these are massive learnings and these are massive developments in you as a professional and you as a leader, of course, as well. Um, and then combining that in, you know, a world where you might be the only woman in that kind of context, is that something you have to go through yourself or can you get help? Or like, how how would you describe this now in retrospect a little bit? Yeah, I mean... I probably had to go it alone for a long time. Um, when you start to get more senior, then you start to have access to more tools. Like I remember um, when I was promoted to a senior manager, I had I was really actually lucky. I had advocacy from an HR business partner and he put me on a course. It was like a women's leadership course. And that mm -hmm. was really good for me. Um, and then when I became a director, I had access to a coach. So, but to get to those positions, you've got to navigate and you've got to kind of figure some of that stuff out on your own. I think now we're studios are becoming a lot more conscientious about growth and development at every level, which is a positive thing, especially for women. Because women, I do think because those pipelines aren't really set up for them, And, um, imposter syndrome for a lot of, um, women, um, is there, especially when they have, you know, work-life balance, um, challenges, maybe with families. So I do think that, um, you know, having mentors or, um, uh, having role models, um, that people can, and this is probably advice or thoughts for anyone, regardless of their gender, you know, having that mm. outlet is important. And I, I didn't really have that, um, formally. Um, I was also lucky at many, for many years in, in my career, I worked with my partner and mm -hmm. so I could utilize him for support because he kind of knew. Um, but in terms of more formalized role models or mentors at the early stages that really didn't exist and you had to kind of understand, you know, who you were interacting with, what was the purpose of, you know, what you were presenting in the content. Um, sometimes things don't go well and, and you learn from that and you, and you adjust. Um, yeah. So I would say that it, it was a little bit learning as I went in the beginning. Mm. Yeah. I, I can tell you from, from experiences that we have, you know, with, with the clients that we're working with. And there's, there's a lot of interest and push towards that right now. Um, because I think especially from, a from the perspective of we want to have more women in place, it's also supporting them into an environment where they can succeed. And I think just as kind of throwing in and also, you know, I, I think in the, especially in the Colin Trim world, there's a lot of people that not necessarily dreamt about, well, I want to become a CMF designer or like, you know, work within the car industry. A lot of people fell into that. And then you, 
you know, especially like uh, until like a few years ago, it, it was often a very hostile environment. It was very direct. It was almost very, you know, <laughs> like in a football game. Uh, I, I've, I've always liked to compare it with. And when you come in through that, I think having the help to navigate that and also understand the language to a degree, because it can be rude, it can be very direct, but it's not necessarily something bad or it's not being meant in a bad way. I think this can be very shocking and also very um, frustrating uh, in the beginning as well. And if we if we want to get more women into that as well, we need to make the environment um, more approachable for them as well. And that comes through training, through understanding, through uh, through talking. And I think it's a very important thing that you've mentioned there to create this mentorship programs, you know, like uh, people to talk to, uh, to have a place also for the emotion. Yeah. So if you, if you have somebody to talk to, then you, you can talk about the emotion as well. And, uh, and if, if that's not along, I think it's, it's a very difficult environment if you just, you know, have to fly on your own, um, to 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 succeed in the long term and i think it's probably also one of these explanations why in top level positions we still see very few women in design in general but in particular in car design um because if you if if there's not the support all the way through um you know you have to be you have to be really tough and you have to be really tough with yourself from time to time i would say as well so it's um it's it's a really interesting you know notion that you you have there and this is maybe like a, a funny question. You mentioned obviously your partner, but did you have role models or like, you know, mentors outside the partnership um, in your in your career? And were these people usually then women or were they men or like were they a, a mix of it? Or like, did you just take the best out of your the bosses that you used to have? Where Where did your own reflection of, you know, the skills and everything in the early stages come from? Well, I would say that, you know, there are a lot of like, female creative leaders in analogous industries um mm. like um mucha prada um ella jongarius like there were people like that that i saw they weren't in my industry but they were you know producing great creative work um but you're right maybe those environments and those industries had um the environment set up for 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 them um within my own industry um, yeah, I, I relied a lot on my team, um, mm-hmm. quite frankly. And I know that seems a little bit of a, um, I don't know if that's a cop-out answer, but that's, that's what I think. I think, you know, the teams that I either worked with in partnership or led eventually, you know, they supported me the collective vision of the studio or of the project um, or what our discipline was trying to contribute within that. Um, you know, I really ha- valued their feedback. Um, you know, you should really have people in your teams that are better than you, that are smarter than mm-hmm. you. So you, can, so, 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 you know, they're giving you the right feedback, but um yeah, I've had feedback from all levels of my team, you know, positive, some of it very constructive. Um, I remember those moments too. Um, but you know, everyone's always had this, like, at least in my most recent experience, we had this synergy and this real commitment, even though it was a fairly large, um, team set of teams, I guess. 
mm-hmm. to, 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 you know, drive that shared vision forward of, on elevating the discipline. Um, it really learning from team members because they're all so unique and diverse and talented and bring their own perspective. Um, you know, I learned so much from them and all that learning shaped me. Um, not only as, you know, a creative, but as, you know, a leader, but also as a person. So I would say that, no, I didn't have a lot of role models along the way, um, but I really valued my team. Um, I had advocacy along the way. Um, I mentioned, you know, the HR person that, mm-hmm. you know, kindly sent me on the course, uh, a pivotal moment in my career. Um, and then towards the latter stage, you know, I did have board advocacy to help try to grow the roles that I was in. Um, and that's really a powerful thing when you know, you've got people speaking for you when you're not in a room. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, for me, I've always I think I've gained advocacy just by doing the work and, you know, trying to make that positive impact. But yeah, I think your point about mentorship and role models um, all, at every phase in a career or, or you know, a journey of your career is important because you're dealing with different issues at different times. And I think maybe having those that level of support would help more women go for it. Cause mm-hmm. I remember having those kind of conversations with, um, women in my team about potential, you know, progression or opportunities. And a lot of them were just, you know, it was almost like they didn't want to talk about it. They weren't ready or they were telling themselves they weren't ready or something was telling mm-hmm. them that they weren't ready. Or maybe it was the first time, like, I don't, I don't know. They would have had a career conversation or an aspiration conversation and they didn't really know hadn't thought about it yet but yeah I do think having that space and time to think about you know what you want to do if you, you want to be more specialized or if you want to take on leadership is important for women because sometimes maybe they don't even think that they're thought of that way or they don't know they mm-hmm. have advocacy or they don't know they should be getting that continuous feedback and I don't know. I mean, I think that's probably fair to say that all genders, you know, need that kind of feedback. But maybe if the point of this conversation is how do you bring more women into roles or keep them into roles or get them on a pipeline into leadership, then, you know, it is really important for them to have that support network. Have you, I find this is very interesting now, have you, have you, in these kind of conversations, have you come across also with, I don't want to say a, a fear, but also maybe a respect of then, you know, what you have mentioned being the only women in a group, um, because, you know, it takes obviously a long time to be, let's say, two out of five, or like, you know, even two out of ten, three out of ten, four out of ten, where um, then also like, hey, you see other people, you other women around you as well, it's like, yeah, so we, we grow the self-confidence, of course, through the other people around you as well. Have you seen maybe, again, I don't want to call it a fear, but a certain kind of respect of moving up into these leadership managerial roles because you could be the the only one uh, in these kind of further conversations then, you know, like decisive conversations about a vehicle and stuff like that. 
Um, or is that is that something that not really a lot of people think about? They just think about then the bigger the bigger scale behind it. I think there's a I think there is a push now to ensure that teams are diverse are diverse. But I think that's on in many levels, not just in gender. Um, your question kind of makes me think back, actually, about women supporting women. And I think when I first started, there was a sense of there can only be room for one. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, but it was almost like, okay, we had the woman, we have the woman on the team. So like all you other women, like, go off and find another project or whatever. I mean, it wasn't quite like that, but that was kind of the feeling, the vibe. Um, and, you know, studios, you know, the designers do compete for work. You know, they, they compete to win a project or, you know, whatever. So there was always that sense, there was already a sense of competitive competitiveness, again, regardless of gender. But then when you put that kind of element on top of, oh, well, you know, there's only room for one woman to have, I don't know, progression. It was almost like there wasn't really that much support of each other. That that sounds horrible to say, but that's kind of the vibe I got when I was starting out. I think that's really changed when, you know, people move from, um, you know, what, what is, what is it called? The attitude of having, um, um, more of a plentiful approach. Like there, there's room for everyone. There's room for more than one woman at the table or whatever. Um, yes, it's, it's moving away from scarcity, um, of the fear of scarcity. I think that's what it's called. So, yeah, I think that I've definitely seen that shift. And now I see more of an effort for, especially with diversity and inclusion aspirations, you know, for everyone to support everyone, you know, women supporting women, um, men supporting women. Um, I think people are more aware that it's important to have all aspects of perspectives in a project. Um, you know, having diverse skills and diverse perspectives makes a richer more well-rounded um, product and work experience for people as well. So I, I don't know if I've answered your question exactly, but <laughs> well, I, I think you know the you can answer it in many kind of ways because it's such a a vast field. Um, and I want to I want to ask you something about education and bringing people in. Yeah, with uh, with following that that up with. You mentioned the culture, you mentioned the environment as well. Um, but a lot starts obviously in the very early stages. So it starts of like, hey, how can we make, you know, young kids, high school graduates, or like, you know, even in that kind of time frame, interested in working within a vehicle design environment. It's not even just call it design because there's a uh, car design because there's so many other things as well. And, you know, I know I repeat myself, but we're currently having about 10% of the staff is, is, is women. Uh, there's a kind of a consensus goal. It goes to like twenty twenty five percent that they would like to achieve um, in the in the near future. Now, based on your experience, what what do you think needs to change so that these these goals and ambitions can actually be met? Because it's it's nice that you know to talk about everything as well, but wh where do we need to start to 
bring this vision to life of them saying we have 20%, 25%. So, you know, new ideas, new uh, visions, new directives, new viewpoints of things um, to make the product in the end even better. Is is this coming through a long-term educational uh, push? Is this coming also from, let's say, you know, uh, fundamentally similar to what is happening a lot of the states as well, saying like, okay, we really want to hire women, we want to hire or based on the, DN, the, uh, the diversity and inclusion kind of factor. What 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 What's your kind of personal opinion on this to, to, to make these pushes work? Well, I think it's, um, it's things that need to run in parallel. Like, you know, education absolutely needs to play a role. Um, you know, like I said, I didn't even know the job that I do now or that I've done in the past um, existed. So how can education make, you know, younger people more aware of um, career opportunities um, in, you know, different creative fields? Um, but I think education needs help to like kind of almost recruit the people that they need to educate. So, mm-hmm. you know, how do studios right now look at how do creative leaders right now look at how they might grow their own existing female talent or maybe even take risks on people that have worked in different industries to bring that talent in so you can create um, role modeling so you can put those people in those positions as soon as possible um, so that way the future talent that the um you know, the educational institutions are trying to bring in, you know, those people, they can point at people and say, okay, you know, look at these people. These, these are people that are in these positions right now. They're role models. This is the kind of position that you could aspire to, or this is what you could do. Because, you know, if you can't see yourself, if you can't see someone like you in a role, like, do you question if you can do it? Um, So I think that, you know, having more visibility of um, roles that women could could move into or leadership roles for women um, is very important to help education, you know, recruit those people into that in, into, into the industry. I think also, in addition to, you know, really looking at your teams and understanding where you can grow and develop, you know, your female talent. Um, leadership needs to think more about that support um, network we talked about earlier, but also feedback because feedback for women, um, there was a study I think done by um, the Harvard Business Review um, some years back about feedback, lack of feedback holds women back. Um, but uh, to you know, to do their job better, but also in terms of progression, all this is linked to the unconscious bias, some of the stereotypes about women's capabilities, um, in terms of you know how women contribute. Uh, so if you have lack of concrete feedback about okay, this is your um, technical expertise, this is how your performance is you know um, contributing against business outcomes or whatever, if you're not getting that like type of feedback and you're getting more feedback about, oh yeah, it's been, you know, a good year and, you know, look at all this great teamwork rather than focusing on the individual and their team and their leadership, right? Because 
you know, it might be more difficult to give feedback, concrete feedback to someone that you don't connect to, or you don't have an affinity with, um, which again goes back into why you need more diverse leadership because then, you know, you have different leaders connecting with the diverse workplace. Um, but yes, uh, more networking in terms of support for mentorship, role modeling, um, maybe even coaching, but definitely better feedback as well. Cause I think that women suffer more than men for lack of feedback for them to really understand, oh yes, I want to go on this path. I, this is my aspiration and these are the things I need to do to realize that. Um, I think also, and I don't know how to say this, but I'm just going to say it. Um, yeah, again, in the early part of my career, I had managers that, you know, had expertise coming from, you know, being in interior design or exterior design and they would, you know, go and move into a management role for CMF. And that, that was totally fine, but you never really saw that cross fertilization happening elsewhere. And now with so many different disciplines, as you mentioned before, coming into studios, you know, with brand work, strategic work, um, I'm sure sustainability work for design, um, oper- design operations, you know, you don't have to necessarily just stay in your own discipline to get, um, to move on that, that path of, of leadership, if that's what you want. Now that could be debated because, you know, I could totally see the viewpoint of needing to have done that specialism to then lead a team in that specialism. But at the same time, this happened a lot in the past where, you know, there were only so many leadership roles. And if somebody had an aspiration to move into leadership, they sometimes move out of their discipline. You know, that doesn't seemingly happen as much with women, but maybe that's something that, you know, could start happening if, if the studio is set up in a way that they run like that. Um, but I understand the need for also having specialism or knowledge of the specialism that you're leading. So those are just some of the things that come to mind when I think about what could change in the immediate term to help. Yeah. and, And I think, you know, to add to that, I think it's really an interesting direction at the moment where we're talking about creative leadership versus versus um people skills as well yeah Yeah. i think especially with the creative environment nowadays there are talks about separating them there are talks about okay what is a creative leader or what is a design leader in that context as well and that's not necessarily just purely about the creativity in itself there's so many other things coming into that as well and I think we will see quite a few changes um, with, with with how you know design leadership works in the future, and I think there's a lot of opportunity there for women as well. Um, yeah. I think you know, especially this kind of emotional uh, point of it as well. You know, helping teams to grow, helping teams to be better, and also, um, you know, and this this uh, sounds probably terribly cliche, so I apologize for this already. Is um, of a less egocentric kind of point of view. Uh, from my personal experience, I've, um, I've, you know, I've met a lot of men in leadership positions, and there's a lot of ego involved in that. And a lot of the women that I've met in the ego- in leadership, 
they are much more humble. They are much more open. You know, it's easier to have conversations with them. It's easier to have um, open discussions or like even problems and everything because they understand there's something maybe we need to do and not everything is perfect. And also I'm personally not perfect. And I think um, there's also a lot that, in my opinion, men can learn from that. This kind of what you mentioned, vulnerability, is I think also a very positive thing. Um, I don't I don't see this as a negative at all. Because I think we we all know, and all the listeners know, somebody who 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 has an ego, and that ego gets in the <laughs> way because of you know not opening up in that kind of degree and finding that balance in a leadership team, and you know not just in one single leadership. Um, obviously, if you have let's say average, I would say like you know car company, they have head of design and then probably five or six top level leaders below that, and if you get closer to like you know four men, two women, this kind of balance comes in even more. And I think that's not really considered too much at the moment. It's still too much on the pure skill, like you or your great design on exteriors or like you know interiors or whatever. And you get promoted based on that, but not based on that kind of leadership ability overall. And I think there's a big opportunity, um, in my opinion, from from that side as well. But it's not necessarily taken on uh, just yet. Also, not in an HR perspective, because the understanding I think on the de- design side on HR is not always there. You know, yeah. to understand how yeah. the, the culture works, how the studio works. Yeah. And that that would be for me also an, an essential point to elevate and, and, and push further on, you know, uh, the DNI and also like the, the, the gender topics is to have this cultural understanding behind it and not just say, oh, we want to hire a woman. It's just like, you know, culturally understand why you want to do that. And that's, um, I think, often completely uh, disregarded or not even know. Yeah, I, I- I think, you know, there's not a, a clear answer, you know, um, it, cause you're right. It's about what is that particular studio's culture? What is that particular studio's environment? What capabilities do they need? What skills are they trying to, um, develop in addition to all their, um, diversity and inclusion mm. aspirations? But yeah, I, I, a creative environment is not a bank. And, um, you know, any person, regardless of gender in a leadership position, I think needs to be sensitive. Um, I, which is why I, I said that last thing with a little bit of trepidation, because I know that's still a little bit of a debate in studios right now about, you know, um, do you have to have done the job to then lead the team that does that job? Um, Maybe not in every single case, but I do think creatives will respond to other creatives or people that, yeah. you know, have shown grit or have, have shown that they understand because they've been able to do it. So I, I, I think we're digressing into another topic now. I'm sorry for that, but I, I guess I just want to make that really clear. Um, I, I understand, um, managing and leading creative work and creative people requires a different kind of understanding and sensitivity. And to your point where maybe I'm not sure all people in HR understand that thoroughly, unless they've been a creative. Um, Because I think also something that's really important, and this was being discussed in my last studio is the, um, your preference for um, 
introversion or extroversion. And a lot of creatives tend to have a preference towards introversion, which can also hinder their aspirations in terms of leadership because, you know, typically a leader is, you know, defined by characteristics that might be more extroverted. Mm -hmm. And if that's not your preference naturally, um, that can potentially make um, make meeting your aspirations a bit more difficult, but there's a lot of positive data around leaders who are, have a preference more towards introversion in terms of, you know, stability, um, you know, teams that are more, I think have more balance. So I think it's just, you know, considering all those factors, I, I, in addition to the gender, um, kind of, um, topic, cause I do think, um, you know, creatives are incredibly intelligent and sensitive people and, you know, the right leader can make, can get the best creative work out of people because they create the right environments for that. I mean, when you have a poor environment, I'm sure you're not getting the best creative work out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I think happy designers are good designers. So, Yeah. Yeah, it's and there's also you know the um, kind of the metaphor of the flower. Yeah, so you also have to water the flower so that it grows. And and I think in an in, in a creative environment that is that is very true and it's very important to constantly um, you know remind yourself about that once you're in a, in a leadership position. And you know, I'll be honest. Obviously, you know, when we do the podcast and. Uh, you know, we had a lot of debate internally also like, you know, okay, women in design, do we want to do something such a specific, but it's, I find it so important to also talk about it, you know, and it's definitely not that we all know everything or we find the final solution, but it's also about putting ideas out there. It's like sharing uh, topics with people. It's like, Hey, we, we need to come and think about this as well. Uh, and, and I think everybody for themselves will have a little bit of a different solution. Uh, and sometimes even a, you know, very different kind of thinking process behind it. But opening up these kind of conversation is something in particular in the car world hasn't really happened. It kind of happens a little bit behind closed doors, but opening them up a little bit, I think, is a really, um, you know, just a kind of an important baseline that we can we can come towards. And um, and I wanna I wanna ask you one last question before we finish up, Amy. And this might be, <laughs> you know, we we we're doing this for all the uh, all the guests in this series of the podcast. And the question would really be, um, if you know, young person comes up to you, could be high school students, university students, and they say like, hey, I want to, you know, be interested in this kind of car design world. What kind of advice from you and your experience that you've had, you would give to a young woman, uh, you know, a young girl to say like, hey, if, if I can give you anything that I've learned, here is something that I think will help you moving onwards. What, what is it that you would tell them? I think they need to, um, you know, do their research, do their due diligence, you know, um, learn about their craft, their chosen discipline, learn about the industry, understand where they can, um, maybe make positive, um, change in terms of, you know, I'm not talking just about people. I'm just talking about like even ideas, like how do you positively disrupt? Um, so, you know, but you would do that for any career choice. I, I think in this industry, it's important to try to maintain being your authentic self. Um, 
because I think it, especially in a creative environment, it won't work if you're having to force it. Um, so yeah, I would say, you know, of course, do your research, you know, see where, um, your affinity is in terms of, um, the creative discipline that you'll, you'll, you'll be pursuing, but also always remember to know your values and bring your authentic self because that's the, that's the unique perspective that any studio would be looking for in terms of their teams. You know, they, they want, they want all the ideas. Um, they want all the perspectives. So don't force yourself to do something or be a certain way because that's kind of what's being role model. That's not necessarily always the way because I'm actually reflecting on, you know, that scenario when you might be the only in a room, um, do you have to kind of, um, have I had to maybe act in a way that I, I wouldn't normally because I felt like that's kind of what was happening around me, you know? So yeah, that's what I would probably do different is try to be more focused on being my authentic self and like how I would problem solve, not necessarily, or how I would approach, not necessarily what was going on around me. Um, that, that was a learn, that was a big learning for me, a learning curve. So yeah, that, that's maybe what I would say. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, thank you very, very much. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, to have you on the on the podcast to talk about women in design, about your personal experiences and and also obviously sharing that with you because we, we always appreciate people sharing their personal, you know, sides and uh, you know, really dig deep a little bit into like what, what you have gone through and the experience you've had in the career and uh, in environments and you personally of course as well. So Thank you very, very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And, oh, thank uh, you for our, having me. Yeah, anytime. And uh, to our listeners, thank you very much as always for listening to the Gestalten podcast. And you will hear back from us very, very soon with another episode of the Gestalten podcast, the automotive design podcast. Thank you very much and see you soon. Thank you. <laughs>